Hello, welcome back to another episode of Adventures in Angular. Here with us, we have Subret. Hello. Alan Chateau. Hello. And also me, Lucas Paganini. And today, we will be exploring the life of Alan Chateau. So if you don't know him, first, you should search him on the internet because he has some amazing accomplishments. Alan is certified as a Google developer expert in Angular, and he works as an individual consultant for Angular projects for a while now. So I believe we can all learn a lot from here. Well, technically a lot, but also career-wise, even more probably because I would like to be as as successful as you, Alan. So, um, tell us about what you do. Uh, what are your current projects? How you got there? Tell us everything about your career. Okay, <laughs> so that, that's uh, that, that's a lot to cover. But I'll try with what I'm doing now. So I do training and consulting around Angular, meaning. If you're a dev team that's learning Angular, but it has to build a new app on the web and you don't have any experience doing this or just a little bit, that's basically where I come in and I help the developers learn about Angular, get them comfortable with the codes, you know, reviewing their code, mentoring them along the way for a few months to the point where they know how to do it and then they can be on their own. So that's... That's basically 99% of, of what I do with my individual clients. And on top of that, I do a lot of public stuff for free, which is, you know, speaking at podcasts, speaking at conferences, uh, publishing on my blog. I also have a daily Angular newsletter that I started this year. So every day I send emails to people with small topics to talk about. And yeah, that's the essence of all of the stuff that I do on a daily basis. Um, and the important part, as you mentioned, is I'm a, I'm a one-person operation. I don't have any employees. I, I do all of that on my own. So I'm, I'm pretty busy. <laughs> I can imagine. I can imagine. Yeah, um, I have uh, a software development company, too, called Envoid. And we are actually specialized in Angular and functional programming. And okay. the only way that I was able to get to this podcast was because I already had like a date, uh, a day in my week, which was like a day to create content. And it just so happened that it was the day that this podcast was recorded. So everything just <laughs> flowed naturally. But if I didn't have the day isolated for that, you just never find time. Like even okay. when you're not a woman operation, Running a business is crazy, crazy, man. And, well, one question that got to my mind was, are your clients more the individual developers that want to learn more? Because I imagine that there's a lot of those cases too. Like, I am an individual developer. I want to learn more from you. You seem like you have a lot of knowledge and I want to do your trainings. Um, but there's also um, clients that are, companies and they want to pay you so that you can do training for their employees 
And even sometimes I imagine that even do things that are very, very specific to their current projects. So maybe even mm-hmm. analyze their current code base and try to identify the biggest pain points so that you can do a training for their employees that is more tailored to the needs of their current projects. So what is the thing that happens the most? Are individual developers wanting to learn more or companies wanting you to train their employees? Yeah, that's a very good question. I would say people who consume my content, so my blog posts, my newsletter, my videos and everything, they are individual developers and they they get that pretty much for free. Um, But the thing is, Developers, you know, we are coders. We think we can build everything on our own. We don't need help. <laughs> so <Yeah. laughs> it's pretty rare that a developer would reach out for training because they just, hey, we can figure it out, right? <laughs> Managers, on the other hand, they are worried about their teams not having the proper skill set or the proper help, and they want to be successful. So People who hire me to teach and mentor, these are managers, CEOs, CTOs, 100% of the time. It's very rare that an individual developer would say, hey, I need your help one-on-one, basically. Um, The other thing is the cost is something to factor in, right? Uh, Developers, we know we can find stuff for free on the internet, so we don't really want to pay for extra assistance. Whereas companies have massive budgets for training and, and sometimes they just have to use it. I, I've done trainings at times where they said, oh, we had extra budgets to consume before the end of the year. We wanted to learn about Angular, so we do an Angular session. Okay, yeah, why not? But just you know, for them to explore a new technology. Um, so yeah, 99% of the income, I would say, comes from companies, CEOs, CTOs wanting to train their teams. And 99% of the consumption of the content that I do for free is individual developers. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah, I think uh, I think just add to that question. I think you are getting a lot of calls, a lot of, uh, uh, but a uh, lot of emails due to you are uh, a GD. So I, I think it would be great if you can just say how you became GD, what is the process and how people, if someone want to, Oh, be, become a GD, what should be the process and how should they should find new things happening in Angular and all. Yeah, sure. So the, the nice thing about the GDE program is that the rules are very clear. If you go to the GDE website, they tell you exactly what you need in order to apply. And there is a common misconception that people think because it's Google Developer Expert, the only important thing is to be an expert in Angular or Firebase or any of the topics that Google has these uh, titles for. The thing is, it's not just about expertise. It's a lot more about the contributions that you make to the community. Meaning, if you do an open source, if you maintain an open source library, if you write content about Angular blog posts, if you're very active on Stack Overflow, if you do talks at your local meetups or podcasts like you guys are doing, all of these things are actually a lot more important than the expertise thing. If you're an expert in Angular, but you work on your own and never talk to anybody else and don't share that knowledge, 
then it doesn't work. So the sharing aspect, the public aspect is very important, actually the most important. So that's something to be, to be aware of. So from that standpoint, how do you become a GDE? Well, you become a GDE basically by being a GDE, <laughs> meaning you have to do all of the work that a GDE would do. Publish content, be active in the open source community, um, speak, do videos, do blogging, all of these sorts of things. You don't have to do all of them, right? Some people are GDEs and all they do is maintain a very popular open source library, which is a lot of work on its own. So, you know, they don't need to do anything yeah. else because that's massive. Uh, others are going to be just conference talks and you'll never see them blog or do open source. So it could be just one of these channels done 100% or, or just a few of a little bit of everything. Um, but yeah, the idea is you have to put content out there. You have to have a public profile around Angular and, and share, you know, tips and tricks, things that you know with other people. That's, that's a key thing. Awesome. Mm -hmm. um, and how to apply apply for GDE? Um, I think, so if this hasn't changed in the recent years, then you have to be referred to the program either by another GDE or by someone who works at Google. Mm -hmm. So if you know a GD like me, you can reach out to me and say, hey, I think I'm a good fit for the program. Would you refer me? I would take a look at everything you did and say, yeah, I believe you're good to go and then submit your name or, or say, oh, maybe you need a little bit more here and there. Try to publish a few more things. Um, yeah, I've done that with a few people in the past and and they all became GDEs later. So, <laughs> yeah. so I, I know the, the, the drill. <laughs> yeah, pretty cool. I can already see the thousands of messages getting into Alan's <laughs> inbox. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, will, I will send one then. <laughs> yeah, the, the thing is, talking about it sounds easy, but producing the content takes time, right? You cannot overnight write hundreds of blog posts or do a hundred podcasts or all that kind of stuff. It takes months and months before you get to the point where you have done enough to feel like you're, you're ready for that. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. One thing that I also think it's interesting since we're in the topic of uh, getting the certification from Google is that it's not really the end goal. At least it shouldn't be. So it's kind of <laughs> like getting a diploma from a university. A lot of people get, a, they look for a degree as if that was the goal. Like, oh, what do you want to do when you get older? Oh, I want to get a degree on computer science and mathematics. Yeah. But that's actually not the end goal. Like actually the degree is just to open doors for you to do whatever you want to do. So any kind of certification is just something that is going to open up doors for you to make it. It's just going to make it easier for you to do the things that you want to do. So, for example, if you want to do talks about Angular, if you want to uh, do workshops and be the person teaching others, then this helps a lot because it's an official certification from Google that uh, very few people in the world have. So it does say a lot about you as an individual contributor in this topic. But just looking for a way to get the certification 
doesn't really help you much because when you get it, it's not going to make you famous or it's not going to make you rich. Like at the end of the day, it's just a certification. So you have to actually use it for something. And I think it's important that we bring this up because I imagine that a lot of developers and thus the audience that will be listening to us, they might have the same issue that I have, which is overthinking too much. Um, we can see that clearly from developer interviews. There are even like a lot of memes on in, on the internet about how developers over-prepare for job interviews. And I think this can become one of those things if you if you don't stop to think through about it. So yeah. you, you want to become an individual consultant about Angular, uh, which is what we were talking before in the beginning of the podcast. That's one thing. And you don't need to be a Google developer expert in Angular to become this individual consultant. Exactly. You don't even need it to become a speaker at events. It helps. <laughs> it does help, definitely. But uh, you don't need it. Uh, you can do it in other ways. Also, like if you stop to think, like you can get the certification without even creating content. As you were saying, you can just maintain an open source project. If you maintain an open source project, first, um, all my love to you because you're amazing. You're maintaining this overall structure that we use. But uh, that doesn't say that you know how to educate people in an event. Like those are completely different skills. So if you get certified from by Google as a Google developer expert in Angular, but you've never, uh, you don't have public speaking skills, like that's not necessarily gonna open up doors to make you speak in public events. So you still need to show to those events that you, uh, that you know how to teach people in a very easy, clear way, and you can speak well and people can understand what you're saying, then if you want to be a consultant, then you need to have those skills and you also need to have all the negotiation skills, the marketing and sales skills to be able to connect to those companies that might be looking for what you need. So just for whoever's listening to this podcast, don't make this like a barrier for entry. Don't think that, oh, I need to get the certification. Otherwise, I cannot become a speaker. I cannot become an individual consultant. We're going to talk about those things here, about becoming an individual consultant and becoming certified by Google. And they don't have to go hand in hand. So just keep that mm-hmm. in mind. Yeah, you're making a very good point. Meaning that when you become a GDE, it's more of a reward, right? It's a title that we give you. And we give you that title because you're doing the work that a GDE does, which means once you receive it, you just keep doing the same thing. Nothing changes. You're just going to do the same talks and the same content and everything. Um, If you stop doing it, you actually lose that title. It's something that they review year after year and they decide if you're still in or or if you're not doing enough, basically. Um, But if you just do the work, you are going to... You are going to improve. You're going to get better at public speaking. You're going to get better at writing content. You're going to get closer to whatever you want to achieve anyways. Whether you get the title or not at the end doesn't matter. It pretty much doesn't matter because you're going to get all of these skills that 
are going to be useful to you, especially if you want to work on your own or or you want to involve, evolve in a specific career of, you know, a dev advocate, for instance, which requires a lot of speaking and writing and stuff. That, that's also something a lot of GDs actually move into those careers at some point because, you know, they, that's what they do. They speak about technology at conferences, on blogs, videos, podcasts. So it's just a natural transition into that sort of career. And it's also like the perfect credential for that the companies can look for because it's extremely hard to find professionals that have a deep technological knowledge and can transmit that in an easy, clear way to all oh, their yeah. developers joining. So companies that can find those professionals, they are eager to hire them and put them in those in those positions. Yeah, that's an excellent point. That's really the, the key thing. I mean, we all work with developers, right? And, and, and we all know developers who just don't want to talk to anyone. <laughs> They'd rather code on their own in, the, in a corner and be left alone, right? Uh, that, that's a very typical developer thing to be, you know, kind of lonely, working in the dark, doing my stuff. So being a profile that can do that and can also interact with people, you know, help them out, uh, teach stuff, help people when they're stuck, that's a very rare skill set, especially in the dev world. It's, it's, uh, and it makes you a lot more valuable on a job market or when you're looking for clients. Yeah, that's that's 100% the case, yeah. Yeah. I think what, uh, maybe in terms of consulting or uh, getting client, GD helps, you, like you told, it's a title. So it's a good title in the market and you'll get uh, clients or uh, projects pretty easily than, than other com competition. And I think they might pay you more. But it, like Lucas say, it's, it's not the, it, it should not be a limitation for you to go ahead and pursue your career as a freelancer or a one-person company for different projects. Yeah, and, and the other thing about, you know, not obsessing with the title is that many people out there have no idea what it means to be a GD. <laughs> yeah. Meaning... You know, if you go at conferences, if you follow podcasts and stuff, you are exposed to GD, so you know who they are mm -hmm. because, you know, they are, you know, public names in, in the Angular space and such. But if you don't do any of that, you have no idea what a GD is. is. And, and the best thing is what Lucas said in the intro. He said, hey, just Google the name of this guy. Google Anan and, and you'll see what you get. If you... Take the time to write content, do podcasts and, st and stuff. When people Google your name, that's what they're going to see. And that's your instant credibility right there. <laughs> Meaning, whether you have a title or not, if they Google your name and see, oh, man, this guy's been all over the place and talking about this and that and publishing this and that, you win. You win. That's, that's all there is to it. You don't need a Google title or anything else. You just want to to be able to showcase that you know that stuff and that you've created a lot of content around it. Exactly, exactly. Um, that even made me remember of the old days in the internet when HTTPS was released. And then you would see a lot of e-commerces in the bottom. They would have this image saying like, we are secure, we're using HTTPS. <laughs> and like... I don't remember people actually caring about that because it's like, I don't even know what do you mean by that? Like, 
I'm yeah, going to yeah. think that you're secure if I see that other people say that you're secure. If I see that others have purchased in the same e-commerce, then I'm going to think that this is secure. So the most, what am, what am I going with this e-commerce analogy? Uh, the highest form of authority that you can give is social proof. If you mm-hmm. can have others recommending your content, you can see the engagement of people in your posts, you're answering their comments, um, they agree with what you're saying, or if they don't agree, you respect the discussion and then you have a healthy discussion with them. Like, this is what would make me trust you as an authority in any subject. If I look at the content that you produced and I see the way that you wrote this content, the amount of effort that you put into it, and how open you are to discussing that with others that are making comments in your post. That, to me, is the highest form of authority, speaking of technical leaders in any any segment. So. Exactly, because it creates a familiarity. You know the person, you know the, the way they speak, you like the way they explain things, and you get to know them through that. Sometimes people come to me at conferences and they say, oh, I want to thank you for your stuff. I watch tons of videos from you and I like the way you teach and everything. And, and they say, I feel like I know you, but you don't know me. <laughs> Which yeah. is, right? You spend time with that person virtually listening to their contents and, and basically getting familiar with them. It's it's like you know listening to music, watching movies. We we love these things, and and we get to like the people who do it because we enjoy the content. We just it's the same thing with public speaking or, or content creation in the tech world. Not I mean, <laughs> not as much. Meaning we we're not rock stars or Hollywood people or, or that kind of thing. But still, the familiarity helps because it removes all of the barriers from a credibility standpoint and, and that sort of thing makes everything easier. Um, and, and it's also the best possible kind of marketing when you think about it, because I'm not trying to sell anything to anybody. I'm just putting my content out there. If you like it and you want to follow me, you can do that. If you don't like it, then you can move on and do something else. And that's perfectly fine. I'm not trying to force it upon you. People are just going to like it or not. If they do, okay, it works. Some of them are going to become customers. Some of them are never going to give me anything, and that's perfectly fine too. Um, it's it's really, yeah. What I love about content creation is that, to me, it's the most honest way to to do marketing and put yourself out there because yeah. you're not bombarding people. Hey, buy this, buy that. You just put your stuff out there. If people like you and trust you, then they might buy it for buy from you at some point. So it's really about creating a relationship, trust, um, and, and it only happens if you do quality stuff, right? If you copy-paste things from somebody else and put it out there and don't give a thought about it, it's not going to work because you don't have your own style. You don't have your own way to explain things. You, have, you don't have your own touch, and people are going to feel that. You know, it, It's very easy to see when people are just reading something or repeating something coming from somebody else. So finding your own voice is important in a sense. I know it sounds cliche at times, but when I write a blog post or when I do content, I like to explain it the way that makes the most sense to me. Meaning 
the way I understand it is the way I want to explain it. And then if other people understand it the same way or would like to, to be taught the same way, that's how they get to like my content and, and basically share it and, and follow me. So, yeah, and it's a lot of it is, as you mentioned, not about overthinking it, right? Sometimes we're like, oh, yeah, but if I put this out there, I'm going to have to do this or that, or I want to fit in that specific picture or, oh, this other writer, they did it differently. Forget about all of that. Do your own thing. Don't look at what anybody else does. If you think it's going to be helpful, put it out there with your own style, your own way of doing it. Basically, the way you would like to to be taught or the way you would like to read about this topic or hear about this topic. And that's how you do it. If you do that, it's 100% natural. People are going to like you more for it because they see that you're just you and not anybody else. And, and yeah, it's, it's, it's actually less stressful that way because you just write your own stuff and you forget about the rest of the world. And yeah, that's, 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 uh, I believe it's actually easier because you forget about the rest. You don't put too much pressure on yourself in a sense. I think I can totally relate, uh, what you're saying when I started the channel long back, this all thoughts are coming to my mind, like why people who are going to watch me, there are lots of angular videos and I'm creating uh, one more. But, uh, I think what, what I got from, from a YouTube channel that I know that humans are, you can divide lot of humans in some particular group. Like mm -hmm. if you get a sample of people, then you have uh, like tens of group of people which have, who have similar interest. And like how you are understanding things and how, like how you are explaining things, that will match to them. And those people are going to like your chan channel or like your content, how you're writing or how, how you're explaining things. And that's how click. So I, uh, in my video, I got in, in the same video, I got you explain it pretty well. In the same video, I said like, is this is a city video. So uh, you can see that a lot of, uh, lot of things are like, it depends on who you, who's your customer or who's you want to uh, give the content. If you uh, like, well, Luzka, so you told like, if you want to think a lot, it will be a, a lot scarier than just record, go and record. So that happened with me initially. Like I just keep on thinking and not putting a content out, but slowly, eventually I learned that this not, this is not going to work. Mm -hmm. Just put it, let it be like, don't worry about criticism and don't worry about, no. we'll see it later. <laughs> like exactly. that attitude. <laughs> Definitely. Um, I'm going to take one step back here and drive the conversation to you. Uh, um, kind of different direction, which is we started getting into the internals of how you can create your personal brand. So creating content and tips for you to not put too much pressure on yourself while you're creating content. And we were talking about how the GDE certification is just uh, something that opens doors. It shouldn't be the end go. So what I would like to do here, if that's okay, is to bring you back to what you decided to do with all those credentials. Alan, so you got the certification from Google, you create content, you could have used that in multiple different ways. So for example, you can, um, you can still be an employee 
and do that. This is going to increase your value as an employee. Uh, so you can have more companies fighting for you and thus you can uh, get paid more and you can feel more at ease that if you lose your job for whatever reason because the company is cutting costs or whatever, you know that it won't be too hard for you to find another. So you can do that as an employee. That's important to think about because a lot of people think that if you're an employee or following the traditional career path, then you don't need that, but it's actually valuable still. Or you can go solo. You can either become a freelancer and then you can actually develop things for uh, other companies that want Angular applications or Angular experts, or you can go freelancer in the sense of a consultant. So you don't necessarily do the things for the company, but you help the company train their employees and you give them directions. So perhaps you can be uh, a constant figure in that project, but you're not actually implementing it. You're just giving the technical direction. So like uh, people can ask you questions, you make yourself available to them, to the team. So um, you can do it that way. And you can even from there, you can like build your own business and hire other employees and then you can scale that up. So there are multiple different pathways that you can go and you can use this authority that you built for your personal brand in your favor. So in your case, Alan, um, it seems that you chose to focus more on the path of becoming a solo consultant for companies. And I wonder how is that path and like the ups and downs about it so that because you can only talk about the path that you chose. You can't talk about the others because you haven't lived them. And I think it would be really, really useful for the audience to hear your version of how it is to be an individual consultant, how hard it, or easy it is to find clients, um, how is your routine, how flexible it is, because people have this dream about, I'm going to be an entrepreneur, I'm going <laughs> to work whenever I want, and people are going to give me millions of dollars. And like, that sure can happen. If you, if you do that, then uh, connect with me on LinkedIn. Perhaps we can have a <laughs> partnership, but it's pretty hard, actually, and there are going to be a lot of bumps in the beginning. So uh, I would love to get your vision of how it is, your routine in reality, so that people can decide if they relate to that, if that's something that they want to pursue. Yeah, that's that's a very good topic. And, and I can get into how I got started with all of this and the reason why. So my... My career started a long time ago. I was an employee. I was a, a full stack developer and I was working for a company. I was doing a lot of good stuff, but I never saw the rewards coming my way. Meaning at the end of the year, when it was time to talk about bonuses, promotions and everything, it was always, ah, not this year. We don't have enough budget or anything, but maybe next year, maybe next year, maybe next year. Now you're that long enough, I said, okay, I'm going to quit. I'm going to go work for another company. I tried that other company. It was pretty much the same story. So I thought, I don't think I'm actually designed to be an employee. I, I, it's just too slow for me. I need things to move faster. I want to be in control. I, I don't want to rely on somebody else deciding whether I deserve more 
money or more influence. I want to, to do this on my own. So that's why I decided to go solo, really, and, and go my own path, build my own company, and, and really, you know, run my own business. That way, I control everything. That's a theory, at least, right? <laughs> so schedule, money, pretty much have everything under control. Um, where it gets interesting is that I'm originally from France, and the job that I had that I'm talking about were in France. When I decided to go solo, I moved to the U.S. So on top of going solo, I moved to a different country, moved to California where I didn't know anyone. I had zero contacts, zero uh, knowledge of the, the local market or anything. It was just, you know, complete reboot in a sense, restarting from scratch. And because I didn't know anyone, my idea was that I would go to meetups initially. So I would go to meetups in Sacramento and I learned about the tech scene around the area. So I was able to see which technologies were hot when I started and Angular was at the very, very top. So that was great for me. I was like, oh my God, I do Angular and everybody wants Angular developers right now. So it was 100% perfect for me. And I kept going to meetups. So the, yeah, I got to know the tech scene, basically, where I just moved and, and connecting with people and everything. And because of that, I saw the, the power that a meetup can have, a, a public event where people speak and connect. I saw the connections happening. I saw, you know, people being hired pretty much on the spot by going to a meetup, getting opportunities and such. And I thought... This is probably the best way for me to bootstrap my solo business, right? To get to be known and, and everything. So that was back in 2014. I started, I created the Angular meetup in Sacramento. There was none. And I thought, okay, I'm going to do that. I just moved here two months ago. I'm going to create the meetup. And I'm going to try to become the Angular guy in Sacramento. That was really my, my idea so that people would know me, I would build that trust, and they would start hiring me, hiring me from for projects. So I did that, and that pretty much created 100% of my business from, from, from there on, in the sense that that's why I became a GD years later, three, four years later. That's how I got many of my clients. They learned about me by you know watching me speak at those meetups and those sort of things. It helped me learn a lot. That's, that's another big thing about public speaking. When you have to talk about a specific topic, you basically have to learn a lot more about it because when you prepare your slides and your code examples, it makes you think differently. It makes you think about how you're going to explain it. And when you think about it, you realize that you don't know everything about it. You realize that you missed some pieces. And by preparing for your talk, you're going to complete all of these bunch of pieces and, and have and get to the point where we really know enough to, to talk about it. So it, it also helps with building knowledge, becoming better and all of that. Um, so yeah, that's how I became solo. Uh, did some public speaking to really do my marketing initially. Helped me got clients and then just the public speaking leads to more and more opportunities. So you have a publisher that reaches out to you and says, hey, you do all of that content. Would you do a video course for us? 
hey, we see you're teaching a lot every month at these meetups. Would you like to do training for us? And, you know, the ball keeps rolling and rolling. You say yes to everything, initially at least, <laughs> because you just want to, you know, when you have a good, um, when you feel like everything is going in the right direction, you just want to make sure you capture these opportunities and, and keep uh, keep using those as a way to make your business grow and grow and grow. So I did exactly that, which was pretty busy at the time, meaning, you know, I was working, I was billing by the hour, most of my clients, meaning pretty much working a full-time job just for my clients. And on top of that, preparing the meetups, preparing the content that I would be publishing, thinking about the business side of things. So you have like a full job in a sense, plus you're also the CEO. So you have to think about strategy, where to go next, what, what to do uh, and, and how to, to keep things going. So the first few years are intense. You really have to work a lot. You really have to, to be out there and, and keep going and, and keep the momentum on, on all of these things. Um, but it gets easier because over time, as you build a lot of content, as you get known, as your profile gets out there, as you have more and more clients, you get these credentials. You can say, hey, I've worked for this bank in San Francisco and we've done this and that with them. Or I worked with that startup on the East Coast and we did those things together. And everything just becomes easier over time. You have the credibility, you have the proof that you can do these things that you're, you know, asking people to pay you for. So getting new clients becomes a lot, there's less, less friction to it. As you said, I can say to people, just Google my name <laughs> and, and it works. Most of the time you're like, oh, okay. Yeah, you're, you're, you're the right person. We're going to hire you. Um, so that, that, that helps, but it only happens if you do that work of creating the content. So it kind of looks back to the the GD aspect of publishing things, being out there doing uh, work that is publicly available to everyone. Um, I think I answered pretty much the question. <laughs> maybe went a little bit broader uh, on this, or maybe we can we can fast forward to today because one of the things you mentioned was people can work whenever they want, wherever they want, that kind of thing. Um, so after, I said I started in 2014, so that's now six, seven, eight, nine years almost. Um, can I work wherever I want? Yes. Can I work whenever I want? Almost. <laughs> almost. The catch is that I have clients all over the world. So I have clients in Europe, in Asia, in South America, US, everywhere which means you have to adapt to these time zones. So even it's even if it's whenever you want, you sometimes have to be flexible. And I've been teaching, you know, from 10 p.m. to 4 a.m. for people in India, for instance, just because they were over there and I had to, to be flexible to help them out. Um, so you can do whatever you want as long as you, you keep your clients happy and you have that flexibility from time to time to, you know, work late or early, uh, maybe once or twice a month to accommodate for specific scenarios. Um, but yeah, if, if you work hard for, you know, six, seven, eight years, then maybe you get to the point where you have that extra freedom and you can say no to more things. So you can really have 
more time for um, stuff that you really want to do or explore other things uh, and, um, and yeah, have more free time for yourself, basically. I love that time frame expectation. It's like, people, it's not going to be three months, okay? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, prepare for a three to five to seven year ride, and then things might get smoother after that. But it's definitely going to be a bumpy road in the meantime. It takes a lot of effort to get this rolling. Yeah, but, but you see the progress along the way, meaning mm -hmm. that... Um, For instance, I'm, I'm very much about lifestyle design in a sense that I never saw the value in working 80 hours per week. If I see someone tell me I work 80 hours per week, I'm like, that's not possible. You cannot do that. If you really work hard, you cannot do 80 hours. You would die right away. Mm -hmm. uh, if you spend 40 hours of these 80 in meetings and stuff, then does it count? Well, I guess in the corporate world, it, it would count as work. But for me, again, I, I avoided being an employee. I didn't like that. So the number of meetings I have per day is zero. <laughs> the only time I have a meeting is if a, with a prospect client who wants to hire me. So it's actually exciting because we have to have a, a good conversation and stuff. But I never have boring meetings that I have to sit through for one hour. This never happens. So from a lifestyle perspective, compared to being an employee, for me, that's massive value, right? It's just, Wow. I got rid of all of these meetings that I had before. Now it's just all gone. And I don't have any commute either. I work from home most of the time. So I, I, I save tons of time that I, I can use for something else. Awesome. Yeah, I think uh, uh, as you are con having this conversation, so one thing coming to my mind that might be helpful for our listener is everywhere we are listening that uh, maybe self-employment is cool, uh, going, going your own is cool. So as you have a lot experience in this, so can you just say some dark side of it or which is not known in public or not uh, glorified as the challenges of being uh, a self-employed or a solo uh, solo army kind of thing? Yeah, the, the main thing that I believe people do not realize about self-employment is that you have to have the right personality for it. It's not for everyone in a sense that you never know when and where your next paycheck is going to come from, in a sense, right? So that's something you have to realize from day one. You have to go get that money. It doesn't fall from the sky. It, it, it is something you have to go get. So you don't have a steady paycheck that's just going to happen every few weeks or every month. This is gone. You have to work for it, really. It's not just you know showing up nine to five. If you just do that, money is not going to happen. You have to think more about, more as an entrepreneur, right? You have to have the, the personality to go out there, look for clients, make sure they can find you, make sure you have the right message for them to hire you, make sure you have the right services as well. So it's not just, I'm going to create something, people are going to buy it, and then I don't have to work anymore, right? I make passive income. No. It does require to have the right personality, the right mindset, um, the right knowledge. Because, for instance, interestingly enough, if we look at podcasts, uh, I never listen to Angular podcasts. Pretty much none of my podcast listening would be Angular or technical stuff. 
but I listen to business podcasts. I listen to self-employment podcasts. That would be 90% of what I listen to. Just because when you're solo, you typically don't have anybody else around you giving you ideas or pushing you to improve. You have to constantly do that on yourself and, and say, okay, what do I do next? How do I get to the next step? How do I evolve? How do I learn more? And, and yeah, you, you basically have to have that, I guess it's a personality thing, right? To always be willing to chase the next thing or be willing to learn something new and never think that you made it You're, because there's always going to be something else. There's always going to be a pandemic that can throw everything away or yeah. uh, stuff that you, you can't predict and that can change everything in the way you do business uh, overnight. So you have to be ready for, for all of these things. And, and for some people, it might be a lot of stress, right? It might be like, like not safe or all that sort of thing. So yeah, having the right personality, having the right approach to it is, is important and, and, and is really a requirement because I've tried to help people start their own business, but I saw right away that, you know, in the, the question they asked or the way they do it, they were basically looking for a to-do list to implement. And they thought, if I do that to-do list and I'm done, it's going to work. Well, not quite, right? The world evolves. We have things happening. We have, uh, you have to adapt to the market. Things are changing. Pandemics happen. The way business is done has changed with, you know, COVID, for instance. A lot more things are online now. That was not the case before. Before COVID, I would go and teach in person all the time. I would fly all over the place to teach Angular, I've not done that in two or three years now. <laughs> so it's always switched to online content. And, and yeah, I had to basically reinvent some part of my business in 2020, just because if you didn't do that, then all of your income would disappear. Um, so yeah, that's something to think about, right? If you want to go solo, you have to be ready for how am I going to react if something else removes everything from me overnight, which can happen. It can happen. Um, so personality is, is a big thing. Being aware of the risk and, and being um, yeah, business-minded, having a, an entrepreneur mindset, I believe are the important things that you cannot make up, right? It has to be part of the way you think, the way you feel, the way you want to do things. Uh, basically, it's your business and, and, and you're responsible for 100% of it. So if you don't do the work, nobody else is going to do it for you. And that's, that's a tricky part. You're, it's always your fault. <laughs> when things go right or wrong, it's always on you, no matter what. So that's, that's a big, big responsibility to, yeah, to think about, basically. Yeah. I think hmm. that to me, the worst thing that I would have advised people, like, be aware of that if you want to go that path, is... There's no switch. There's no, oh, it's 4 p.m., 5 p.m., 6 p.m. I'm going to just switch. And now it's personal time. Now I'm going to just relax. That doesn't happen. Like the yeah. business is you. You are the business. When you go to sleep, you're thinking about it. When you're in the shower, you're thinking about it. When you send 
uh, I sent a newsletter email and the link of the video was wrong. That hurt in my soul. Like, oh man, I sent an email to everybody. The link was wrong. I'm going to have to correct that. The smallest things, they hurt so bad. That is if you care deeply about what you're mm -hmm. creating. But the, the trick is, if you don't care deeply, then the chances of you succeeding on your own are really slim because it's extremely mm -hmm. hard. Like, if you are not having luck as an employee and you want to try as a solo entrepreneur, like, I would advise otherwise. Not, not because I don't think you can, just because it is way harder than being an employee. So, um, like, oh, but as an employee, I have, like, office politics. I have to be able to negotiate. As a solo entrepreneur, you're going to have this even more, you know? Like, you're going to have to negotiate with clients all the time. And if you don't get this part right, then you're not going to have clients and then you don't have a business. So everything that is hard and boring and as a regular employee, it becomes even harder as if you become a solo, a solo founder. The difference is that now you're doing something that is yours. So mm -hmm. sometimes even things that you thought were boring when you were an employee, now they are certainly interesting and cool because now you're doing it for yourself. So there's this... Uh, mm, this energy that comes from imagining that you are building your vision. And that's that's pretty cool. That's fantastic. But it you got to be aware that you won't be able to switch. Like, it's going to be pretty stressful in the beginning. And you're just going to have to go through it. Yeah, I can also uh, relate uh, on that. So I think... I'm an employee in a company as well as I'm just doing a side uh, kind of a hobby. So as you, as you, as you told, like if you want to go for full on, then if you are in the, from, from the first day, if you are uh, worried about how you're going to go for money, then you have to go like give your hundred percent, do everything strategically. How, uh, how things are wa working on the market right now, how, how to do things. But if you are like me, like I'm just, uh, if your money is not a matter at all, you just want to speak with people and just want to explain. And from that, you will uh, learn a little or may not or maybe not. Then you can go like uh, as a hobby, just release a video or release a content for a week and that might work. Uh, but yeah, uh, if you go, if you want to go as a self-employed and always, so this, uh, everyone should keep in mind, like as Alan or Lucas told, like you should live like a, a solo entrepreneur. You should, you, you should think like uh, while you're sleeping, while you're driving, uh, the problem should, you should always think like that. And uh, like, I think a lot of the developer point of view, like if uh, for me, if I, if a problem is not solved, I will always going to think when till that it is solved. So you should have it. You you should be have a attitude to switch that to the business point of view. How are gonna get the client? How are gonna get the money out of them? Why they they gonna pay me? And all those things. So just a per perspective of if you are deciding to go, 
than just have these all these things in your mind as well. Yeah, these are these are very good points, and yeah, the fact that it's constantly in your head. You you both mentioned it. I didn't, but yeah, that's that's basically the same thing. And I I don't even yeah. talk about it because it's been so natural for me over the years that my business is me, and so it makes sense that I would think about it because it's it's pretty much my life at this point, and um, which. If you don't think you would enjoy that, that's basically a red flag. You don't want to go solo if, if, if that feels like it would be a problem. But on the other hand, if you feel like this would be you know, challenging, but in an interesting way, like, oh, this is exciting. I want to be thinking about that stuff. I want to develop it. I want to build things and I want to, to be successful. Then you probably have what it takes to you know, get started. Um, and, and the other thing is, one, one piece of advice that is very important is if you want to start, don't just leave your job and, and go solo right away, right? Don't go from paycheck to zero income and you have to make things happen overnight because this is not going to work. Try to start on the side. Try to do a, you know, small gigs on the side. Try to build something aside from your job. Get some income. See if you like it. See if it grows. And then... If you get to the point where you feel like you could do it full time, then you can leave your job and really focus on the solo business. But go into it little by little, because otherwise it can be it can be really disappointing, and and you might have to go back to employment. So, yeah, going part time first is is a lot easier, a lot safer. Yep, and I'd like to take it back to something that Subret mentioned. And I believe is the biggest question for everybody that is starting a business is how to get the first clients Mm -hmm. because these are the hardest. Uh, Either people are just creating problems themselves. They're like creating barriers for perfection and they're never trying out or they are just waiting for the clients to come. So, for example, uh, I'm not saying that you can't create content and wait for clients to contact you. But that's not the only way. You can also create content and actively go after clients because mm-hmm. sometimes they they can see how valuable what you're doing is, but maybe they're just not looking for it. So you can actively contact them and say, hey, um, I believe I could be of use your business. I believe I can help your team. I can see that you're using Angular too. So I can give training to your employees on that. So you don't just have to wait for the clients to come naturally to you. You can also go after them. But of course, you need to have some authority. You need to have some way of displaying your work. Think of it kind of like a resume, but in any sense, you need to have something. Um, But what would you advise to people, Alan. So in your business line as a consultant, nowadays, like thinking about how people are doing business relationships today in 2023, what do you think would be the best steps for somebody to get their first clients as an Angular consultant? So there's two things I would think about, and and that's very similar to the way I was thinking about things when I got started. Um, The first one is that 
you want to do things a little bit differently than what everybody else is doing. And you can get an idea of what everybody else is doing if you go to a platform like Upwork, for instance, or any freelancing platform. You can create an account, you can look at the profiles of people, and you will get an idea of who's doing what. Um, and what I mean by this is you can do a search. You can look for Angular developer. And if you find you know, 20,000 people, then if you, if you market yourself as an Angular developer, you are in competition with those 20,000 people, which is a lot because every time you want to get a new client, you, you'll have to basically fight against them and, and win. So the, the, what I did when I got started is that I would not market myself as a web developer or even as an Angular developer. My... In, initially, for the first couple of years, my business was targeted at Google Maps. I would be building Google Maps-based solutions. And if you if you good if you went to Upwork or any of these platforms in the entire world, there would be like five to ten people doing this. <laughs> so instead of having twenty thousand competitors, when I was bidding on a project, I would have just five to ten most likely less because at least half of them would be busy on other projects at the time. Mm-hmm. So it would be, you know, a 50-50 fight with somebody else to kind of get into a contract or that sort of thing. And the nice thing about, so I mentioned Google Maps. It doesn't mean that people should do that, but there are some interesting things about Google Maps that make it that made it worth it at that point in time. The one thing that's really interesting is that when you build a map, it's something very visual, meaning you can build something beautiful that's going to be part of your portfolio. People can see it and they can relate to it, which is very, very important, right? If you run a business, you want people to be able to understand what you do instantly, which is easy to do with front-end stuff because you can really build a very visual portfolio of the things you've done in the past. If you're a database administrator or, you know, some, somebody working with SQL or that sort of thing, it's going to be a lot more tricky to illustrate what you can do because it's not that visual. But Google Maps was perfect for that. I could build a very visual portfolio of things I built with Google Maps, applications built around Google Maps. And that would be super impressive. I mean, someone who needed some, yeah, a client would need a real estate application using Google Maps, I had a couple of those. I could show them images, screenshots, and, and they would be like, okay, we hire you. you. You know how to do it. That's what we want, right? So uh, the visual aspect for a portfolio is important. And and being in a niche that's small enough that you don't have a lot of competition, that makes you basically one of the few people in the world doing this, uh, is also a, a big aspect because then you don't have to fight against thousands of people to win a new contract. It's just going to be a few options available out there. So if you want to get started in the Angular space, don't become an Angular consultant. Do something more creative. Can you be um, Can you be maybe uh, focused on unit testing with Angular? Can you be focused on uh, forms with Angular, maybe doing form validation, advanced forms kind of thing, and, and have 
portfolio examples of complex stuff that you've done in that space that you can really show to people with a screenshot and they can understand, okay, this guy knows how to do this. I like it. Um, yeah, if, you, if you can find that niche, that space where you have a competitive advantage, meaning you know the stuff, it's easy for you, you've done it for a while, you know you can succeed easily, and, and it's not a jack-of-all-trades kind of approach where, hey, I, I can do anything, I, I know all of that stuff, and I can do anything Angular-related, which is probably the case. But the thing is, you don't want to be marketed that way because then you're competing with everybody else. Thing is, even if initially I was doing Google Maps stuff for my clients, once we started working together, they would ask me, oh, by the way, I want to change this on my, on my website. Do you know how to do this? Yeah, sure, I can do that for you. And then you start doing JavaScript work, Angular work that has nothing to do with the map that you built initially. But you got selected on that specificity then you have the trust with your customer and you can move on to other stuff later on, other kind of work for them. So the, the niche aspect means it's not all you're going to do for them, but it's a marketing trick to be more visible, to be more accessible, and to not have a competition of thousands of people you know, fighting against you to get those clients. I love that. So hyper-focused niche and then build from there. Yeah, exactly. And then, of course, you're going to build an even bigger portfolio. You're going to expand it. So for me, initially, it was all Google Maps. And then all of these maps, I was using Angular in, in Angular JS back then with all of them. So a couple of years later, I had like 50 Angular projects I could show to anyone. So when I decided to you know, be the Angular guy, I had so much proof that that was the case that when I would speak to a customer, they would be like, oh, wow, okay, we hire you. Uh, so you can also use that niche approach to build a, um, another portfolio around it or improve your skill set around uh, Angular or any other technology for that matter. And then, uh, and then it's, it's even a lot easier to market yourself in that slightly different thing. So I don't do maps anymore at all. But still, uh, it's, it's what's helped me get started and, uh, and then moved on to Angular. And uh, yeah. Awesome. And what about um, platforms to connect? So for example, you can build a portfolio that is hyper-niched, but if you put that in a place where, if you put that in a corner of the internet that nobody finds you, then it's not going to work. So you also have yeah. to put yourself into places where, companies that are looking for what you do can find you. So nowadays, which of these places do you think are the most effective ones? Yeah, so many of the ones I used back in the day have disappeared or they've been bought by some other companies and merged and everything. So Upwork, Upwork is the only survivor from that era and it's still very active, lots of mm -hmm. opportunities there. Um, Basically, yeah, if you sign up there and you take an approach of being specialized into something, you should get clients. I, I don't see why you would not get any if, if you do that kind of work of having a portfolio and being focused on something specific rather than being a generalist. Uh, Upwork is good. Another good one to just exercise yourself in thinking about products or thinking about doing a small 
task for a client rather than coding an entire application would be Fiverr. So it's Fiverr with two R's at the end, um, where you can basically sell something for $5, which doesn't seem like a lot, but it's actually a pretty good exercise uh, because instead of thinking, I'm going to write thousands of lines of code, you can think about what could I sell for $5, $10, $15, and, and maybe even more. But initially, I think it's just 5 I did that with Google Maps when I started. I would sell... Uh, a basic map with one pin on it, so just one marker on the map for $5. And I would always use the same code. It was basically one HTML file, the code was in it. I would just had to change the latitude and longitude where to put the marker. So it would take one minute to do it. I would sell at $5. And I sold many of them. I, I had created a product out of a snippet of code, basically. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's a good exercise to think more as an entrepreneur, thinking how can I create a product out of a few lines of code or out of, you know, it could be documentation, it could be a PDF where you teach something, it could be all sorts of digital products. But um, yeah, it makes you think differently than billing a customer by the hour, basically. And and it's a, a good good way to possibly get started or at least get ideas about things you, you could do. Awesome. Okay. Yeah, it's a pretty good perspective of like, uh, in, instead of going as a broader way, just uh, drill down your needs and uh, attract those people who really need you. I think nowadays it was, uh, I think the ask is also pretty crowded. Like people are now asking a lot. Before it was, it was I think less. So people want to go as a support as Angular developer, but by thinking of I will miss a lot of uh, opportunity. But uh, at the end, you can do uh, one project a day or two project a day at max. So the so if if that much uh, traffic is there to your niche, then obviously you you should go and uh, just market yourself as that niche and uh, build. A, like good carrier on that. That was extremely insightful, Alan. Thank you so much. Um, now let's get to the best part of the podcast, which is where we try to sell you the things that we are doing. So <laughs> let's do our self promotions. Alan, what would you like to promote? Um, so the main thing I started this year is my Angular newsletter. So every day I send an email to people with one tiny tip and trick on the Angular framework. So the goal is it's short to read, like 30 seconds or less, short article. We cover just one tiny piece of content. And you can learn something new every day, five days per week. It's free. You don't have to buy anything. Um, if you look for daily Angular newsletter or Google My Name, you should you should stumble upon it. And uh, yeah, it's free, no money needed. You can unsubscribe if you get too many of those uh, later on. And and yeah, that's that's really the main thing I've been starting in two thousand twenty three. Awesome. And also, if companies want to hire you, then what's the best channel to contact you? Yeah, so they can go to my website, angulartraining.com, and the email is listed there. There's also a chat window where people can chat with me and, and, and reach out to me. 
LinkedIn is also a good place. You can connect with me on LinkedIn. Uh, always happy to accept connections and, and chat there. So yeah, either of these channels work for me. Cool. All right. Awesome. What about you, Subrat? Yeah, I think I will go ahead again with uh, my YouTube channel, which is Fun of Heuristic. So currently I'm doing going the standalone component uh, approach, like creating a list of that. Uh, like like I think in the last to last uh, episode with Arma, Arman, I, we have discussed about NGRX. So I've added that as well. I have, I have recorded that, but it's not released yet. So I'll release that. Maybe when you, you guys are li listening, it's already out. Please go ahead and check those. And uh, I think maybe in the last two, maybe in, this, in some po podcast, I've told that I am planning to start a video podcast um, where we'll discuss a little bit different uh, thing on a, how a developer life and how how developers are changing the world uh, then it's uh, marketed as a uh, different way so that uh, my go goal to attract more people to development uh, and how how glorify the uh, the whole world is so i what i'm suggesting is if you are listening and if you want to talk with me as well as uh, if you want to share your experience because every one experience matters in in this sector so please feel free me to uh, mail me you, you, you can find my email in in my channel or in linkedin anywhere if you if you find me you can contact me i'll be pretty happy to uh, do a podcast with you so that's the pick for me awesome okay uh, mine will be the same as last time. So I've been working in this web animations course for a while now. Um, this is actually a good connection with what we were saying. Like there's a ton of content about web animation. So why the hell did I chose to do a course on that? I mean, I'm one of the hosts on Adventures in Angular, so I could do a course on Angular. Uh, I could also do that. But honestly, I just felt that uh, until today, I hadn't found a course that taught me the fundamentals of web animations with a strong mental model that allowed me to really understand it and translate this knowledge to others in a way that they could create any animations. So if you look on tutorials on the internet about web animations, you don't see much about the concepts. You see how to code this particular transition, how to code this particular animation. But what if I want to code everything? What if I want the knowledge that the instructor has about animations, not about that particular animation? So that was a particular gap that I found. And I'm sure there are great courses out there that cover this gap but I couldn't find them, or if I did find them, I didn't particularly felt too comfortable with the teaching style, so I didn't thought it went deep enough for my taste or that the examples were common enough. There's also many uh, courses that are kind of outdated, quite frankly, because it's a topic that has been a while since it's not hyped anymore. You don't see much uh, people talking about animation. So it's not a topic that people are talking too much about it. So there are a lot of courses that were made 
uh, years ago. So they are not really covering the most advanced things that you get from CSS today, the performance improvements that you get from using some nice techniques. Also, um, I didn't found a course that would have the functional programming paradigm, which I like a lot. And I think it is being applied in CSS lately with Tailwind and other frameworks that are coming that are using functional approaches for CSS. So I really miss that. And I felt that this was something that I could that I could do. I thought, hey, that that's actually something that I can talk about. I am an expert in Angular, but um, I started as somebody that was really, really interested in motion. So I can get back to to that and do a course on that. So this is even another example of how you can do a course on anything, even if you feel like it's extremely saturated. First, sometimes it's just a feeling and you got to really research and see if it is really saturated or if it's saturated with outdated content. And another is maybe it is indeed saturated. Maybe there are really 20,000 developers uh, talking about Angular and there are hundreds of Angular courses on Udemy selling for less than $10. And you might think like, how can I compete with that? But there will always be people that they really like your particular style of teaching. So um, there's always room for your way of teaching something. It can even be the actual same content, but sometimes you can cover that in a different way and that's all that it needs to click for people. And they're like, oh, now I get it. So I'm going to plug that uh, if you're interested, it hasn't been launched yet, but you can join the waiting list and guarantee a huge discount when it does launch. You can do that by signing up on lucaspaganini.com slash web animations. And if you want to create your own content, do it. I'm sure you can create something very unique and with your own style. So this is going to be my promotion. Um, in terms of picks, um, I will, again, start with Alan. Do you have picks for today's episode? Um, not, not really. So maybe you guys go first, and then I see if, I'm, I, get, if I get inspired. <laughs> okay, awesome. So, Brett, what do you have? Sorry, I was in mute. So what <laughs> I was saying is, uh, again, for this this week pick for me will be will be a book. I was just uh, going with the approach for a domain driven design. I think it's a pretty uh, good book written, and you can like it tells us like how to uh, develop a approach or mindset uh, to design something which which is domain based, not. Uh, not a technology based so that everyone can understand and how it will help uh, how it will help later to maintain the whole project and, and so uh, instead of uh, picking the book I would like to pick the design itself like you can you can have a lot of books on that uh, so go ahead and check that that one it's a good design approach it's it's not new like it's a pretty old old approach and I think 
it's not only followed by the programming it's always also followed by uh, different uh, types of industry so that uh, it will be like well structured and and it will help uh, if you have a bigger project uh, if you uh, are maintaining lot of stuffs so that will be uh, a pretty good um, design pattern for for a good project to which you which you need to maintain for maybe for like you know four year five years or so like so that's the pick for this week for me awesome okay um i really like domain driven design so i like that yeah. pick um to me my pick is gonna be a movie it's called everything everywhere all at once oh it's so cool like it's an entire satire about uh, those movies that talk about multiverse and time travel and etc. But it is so good. Like, it's so well done that you start to wonder, like, is that for real? Or they're just making a joke about all the other movies that are using multiverse and time travel to fix their problems. But it, it is great. The editing of this movie is spectacular spectacular like just watch the trailer like you are gonna be amazed it was a great movie to watch you're gonna cry you're gonna laugh uh, you're gonna smile so you're gonna feel all the different emotions throughout the movie and it's just gonna be something completely different from what you're used to because they mess up with the entire structure of everything so literally anything is possible like they can they can break all the rules of physics and it's okay because it makes sense with the plot and that gave them so much freedom to do some crazy editing things and it, it's just really cool really cool uh, i highly recommend this movie so that's gonna be my pick for today's episode yeah now that you guys have talked about these things i have at least two different things i want to <laughs> to mention so you mentioned a movie um a tv series that was just released and, and is going on now uh mm -hmm. the last of us on hbo uh if you've played the video game that's just amazing and i really enjoyed the two first episodes and even if you don't know about the last of us it's actually maybe even better to start from scratch and watch the the TV series. So something I would definitely recommend. Um, and the second pick I have is a book that I read last year, and it can be very helpful for a solo entrepreneur. So this is the book, um, Atomic Habits. And yeah. it's basically, it's a self-improvement book. It teaches you how to to build new habits. So if you want to get in the habit of writing content for your audience or to have a process to get to do public speaking and apply to speak at conferences and such, this gives a lot of really, really good advice on, on how to build habits that can really change your life, become like second nature. And, um, and yeah, it makes, makes things a lot easier. So probably one of the best books I've read over the past year for sure so definitely recommended nice yeah i think atomic habit is one of the book which which you read one chapter and you can apply directly in, in yeah exactly life. it's very practical very easy to understand very well written too they don't try to you know just 
throw a lot of stuff out there. It's very direct, very to the point. So very, uh, very good read. Mm -hmm. Yes. Very actionable. I love that book. Yeah. Yes. That was a great pick. Alan. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Awesome. Um, okay. We're going to wrap things up. Uh, if you want to reach out to us after the episode, uh, you can contact me on Twitter or Instagram or LinkedIn. It's just Lucas Paganini or at Lucas Paganini. Uh, for Subrat, you can... Subrat, okay, where I, are the best places to find you? Yeah, I think you. Uh, I think they can find our details on the show notes. Uh, either LinkedIn for me, either LinkedIn or the channel. Uh, you, you can you can message me there uh, or email me. It's punoheuristic at gmail.com. Uh, so that's the way. Awesome. And Alan, too, you were mentioning that. So LinkedIn and your website, Angular Training. Yeah. Awesome. Or just Google. Yeah. Or just Google. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That works, too. <laughs> I love speaking to celebrities. You can just say, Google his name. <laughs> awesome. Okay, that was a great episode. Thank you so much. And we'll see you in the next one. Bye.